Welcome to the Drive Able podcast, where we discuss all things about driving and safer community transport for people with disabilities and medical conditions. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you tune back in and listen to the last episode. In that last episode, episode eight, we met Eli and learned about his new life and the products that he is using to drive. Yeah, and this is uh, episode nine. And in this episode, we reflect on Eli's story, but also dig deep into the products and the process that Eli went through to get back on the road. So Brad, are you ready for this? Yeah, mate, let's get into it. Driving is something many take for granted, but when someone has altered ability, then driving or getting out and about in your own car can be challenging. Driving with a disability doesn't mean you have to drive an old clapped out car with farm-like machinery and relying on a wheelchair doesn't mean waiting for hours and then being in the back of a maxi access cab getting car sick. The Drivable podcast is designed to introduce and explore driving aids for people with disabilities, vehicle modifications, the NDIS, research, medical guidelines, driving techniques and much, much more. The Drivable podcast is to help you be informed and be in control of your own independence so you can experience freedom through driving safely and reliably. I'm Ali and with me is Brad and together we have over 30 years of experience in disability and driving. Enough of the intros, let's get into it. Okay, in this episode we're reflecting on Eli's story but we're also digging deep into the products and we've received some uh, feedback from a listener. Uh, that they really want to know the nitty gritties about products. So we're taking that on board and really getting into the products that Eli uses. Uh, And we're also going to talk about the process that Eli went through to get back onto the road. Um, The first thing that we need to reflect on is Eli's story about his life and and how he got to this point. He was uh, a young fellow and his life at that time revolved around getting into sporting teams. He said he was on the cusp of being uh, on the verge of getting into the Australian team for volleyball off to the AIS and so forth. So there's a lot of young um, people out there, a lot of young men and women striving to get onto uh, sporting teams like he was. And I'm I'm sure that that story might've reflected with uh, a few of our listeners. Yeah, it was actually interesting, I guess, what he was talking about in, um, in respect to, I guess there's probably a deeper philosophical thing which can have a whole podcast on its own, I guess it seems like at that age, um, if you don't get the right kind of mental support, um, it, it can really affect you. And, and it seems to be a relatively common story um, that, that, yeah, if you, like it's high performing, high, um, you know, high ambition can come with high um, consequences as well. So. Yeah, we, we've uh, got another episode coming up, haven't we, where we uh, talk to a person um, about, about their mental health. And, and Eli certainly well, seemed to struggle with, with not making it on his expectations about getting onto the team. And, and that impacted his life overall, but also impacted on his driving. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he reflected on um, how he, he didn't have a care for people on the road. Um, at that point of his life, and uh, and he didn't know any better, and, and his whole his whole driving attitude was get out of my way, I'm coming through. I think is the the bit that I got out of that story. Um, but things changed. Things changed drastically when he had a car accident. Yeah, he had that uh, car accident, and it um, yeah had him in hospital 
um, recovering from a traumatic brain injury and, uh, and the physical elements that go with that as well. His uh, right side doesn't work as well now. Um, and also his, his uh, memory is not as good now. And, and he spoke in that episode about the process that he had to go through um, out at Hampstead and uh, at the rehabilitation hospital here in Adelaide. Um, but it's the same with the rehab hospitals around Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's actually interesting, I guess. Is, um, I guess it's interesting to listen to that story of rebuilding and, and refinding who you are um, and going through that process. And, and once again, it seems like when um, his partner, I think it was Ali, mm-hmm. um, came more into the picture, it also improved his life quite significantly. Um, and again, that kind of goes around back to that story of having that support and the people around you. Um, really, that's very important, you know, to, to really move forward and building that community and that team, you know, and, and having the strength and the mental, I guess, confidence to do that. Yeah, that's been a common theme through our interviews, isn't it? It's, it's probably not what I was expecting um, with these interviews, but uh, it shows that um, how valuable the other people in our life are and um and how much support they actually give um to people and yeah it's it's been it's been refreshing to hear from my point of view yeah it's actually i guess on a more of a personal level it's um i love hearing it because it's sort of something that i've always thought about um one of my own personal values is is really community and and everybody working together and everybody being accepted for whoever they are no matter what they are how they look how they speak and all of this kind of stuff. You know, I've, I've, had, I've often had debates which some medical people might um, not agree, but when people say, oh, you know, my kid's got autism, I often say, I don't look at it that way. I just think your kid is Richard or Ben, and that's just how they are. You know, like, it doesn't matter. You don't have to give them a medical label. It's just they communicate in this way or they do that way or they walk in this way, and that's just how it is, you know, and, and, and the community is made up of all of those people, you know, and, um, and these stories, I guess prove my own personal values um, because you can't function unless you do have that multiple members of the community. And these guys are demonstrating it that they, once they, they actually realize that and start integrating much more into their community, their lives are, um, you know, getting so much better. Yeah. And, and building on from that, you don't have to do this alone. Um, Reach out to people. And, and that's what we're trying to get across in this podcast is that, um, it is a community for getting back to driving as well in regards to, you know, I'm an OT, um, you're, you're an engineer um, in regards to um, mechanical engineer for cars and so forth like that. There's a whole team that goes into this and um, yeah, we'll be interviewing other parts of the team as it goes through this uh, podcast as well. He's got a, he's got a completely different life now um, as a result of the car accident. And he's now an ambassador for road safety, working with um, both the Metropolitan Fire Service and also an ambassador for the Get Home Safe Foundation. Um, And he's out there talking to kids to try and help them understand the consequences of their actions. Yeah. 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 I think that that's just an, good on him for using his uh, story to help educate others. And um, like his partner said, uh, he's now the safest person on the road. He, she can't think of a, a safer driver 
Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's really awesome to see that they're turning it around for good and helping the community and um, lifting everybody up. So uh, you can only just benefit from that. So um, Yeah, so... So if you are a young listener and you do have a, uh, you know, whether you've got a disability or not, think, think about your actions, think about how you're impacting on other people. Um, you know, if, if you take that corner too fast, uh, what impacts it going to have on, on other people? If, is it going to have a crash with another car and, and impact on their life? Are you going to crash your own car and impact on all of the people around you? Um, including hospital staff through to your own family and so forth. And I think that's the big message that I want to get through uh, and what I got from Eli is think about the impact that you have on, on other people when you're driving. Yeah. And uh, uh, people may not know, but I'm, I'm, this is how I know Eli. I, I know him from the Get Home Safe Foundation. Um, I'm a board member there as well. And it, it's a big, strong message that we try to, to send through is, is think about the impact and, and Eli is now talking to sporting clubs. Um, he talked about how he he talks to the Glenelg Cricket Club uh, and they get home safe round and talking about um, trying to drive like you're the captain of the team. Think about the other people and, and go about taking your sporting training into your driving training and um, really be, be a, a strong driver like you're a strong player. Yeah, no, that's a really good message. It's really good. So yes. let's, um, let's get into the, uh, the, the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, um, I guess to also give kudos to the feedback. Uh, one, I was when I saw that feedback, the first thing was I was bloody excited that we had a listener. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, thank you, everybody who is listening. Give us feedback. We love it. Um, we, we will act upon it, as you're going to find out here. Yeah, and so um, and I, and I think I kind of um, somewhat agreed with the feedback, which was you know let us know a bit more about the products and and get a bit more technical because we want to really hear about it and make sense because it's probably one of the areas where it's a bit weak in the industry as well. Um, and so yeah, and and we and and as Brad said, give us more of that feedback because the main aim, as we've said all along, um, this podcast is for the community and it's not for us. So. Um, you need to let us know how you want it and what you want so we can adjust it to suit you. Um, we're here for you guys. So that's uh, very important. Yeah, so the feedback we got was give us more information about the products uh, and give us more information about the process. So we're going we're gonna to dig into that today. We're going to start off with products right now and, and the products that Eli used um, to be able to get out and about in the, pro, uh, in the community. Uh, Eli's brain injury impacted on his left side of his brain which impacted on his right side of his body it uh, impacted on his right leg so he uses a left foot accelerator he had to learn how to use the left foot accelerator and he did that through lessons at the hospital now he does not all people get the opportunity to learn to drive with the hospital program some people don't end up going to the right hospital where they've got programs to be able to help people to drive. And they need to do that with a driving instructor that's out and about in the community. And they're out there. Every, every major city has people with modified vehicles. So, um, and they, they teach you to drive. The driving instructors teach you to drive with the modifications that are in their car. Um, 
And on this occasion, Eli did that with a left foot accelerator, but he was fortunate enough to be able to have lessons through the hospital as part of his rehab and training, uh, just the same way as he has rehab and training for being able to walk or to be able to feed himself and all of those type of areas as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, uh, and do you, do you know what kind of um, left foot accelerator you have? So I believe he's got a flip up, flip down uh, left foot accelerator. So let's dig into what that actually means. You're, you're the mechanical engineer. Can you explain what the flip up, flip down left foot accelerator is? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so it's basically where you've got um, your two, let's say you've got your normal accelerator pedal. Um, yep, on the right hand side of the brake. Yep, basically over, well, probably on this side if you're on the screen, but basically your, your pedal, your accelerator pedal, which is on the right on the brake. And then um, you would introduce a new accelerator pedal, which would be on the left of the brake. Um, and you would introduce a hinging function into your existing pedal. So you basically can use one or the other. So you, you flip one up and you flip one down um, mm -hmm. and you could use your left foot to accelerate. Um, and then if you flip that one back up and put the other one down, you can use your right foot to accelerate. And, and the reason for that is um, often people are using one car for multiple users. And so this allows you to do that. Um, if you are the disabled person, you're not going to be using left and right um, interchangeably. It's not for you. It's basically for other members of the family. So yeah. if you don't have any other members of the family, you wouldn't need that flip up and flip down or, or not even family, just other members that would be driving your car. You wouldn't need that flip down or flip out up function. Yeah. You've got to think about uh, the mechanic who needs to move your car in and out of the garage. And uh, if you have a, if you have a breakdown on the side of the road uh, in South Australia at CRAA or at CRAQCV or whatever, wherever you are around um, Australia, you know, you might need to have somebody move your car off of the road. So even if you're the sole occupant of your household and you're the only person that drives that car day in, day out, it still needs to be able to be driven by other people. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a requirement for any modification that you have in a car. The car still needs to be able to be driven in a quote unquote normal fashion to be able to, uh, to be able to be moved by authorities, police, tow truck drivers, actually, mechanics. It's a good whoever. point that you're making there, Brad, because um, what's interesting is I guess from an engineering requirement and legislation point of view, once you go into that field of this modification, it's not actually legally required for you to keep both pedals. Um, so, so it may be in some states might have a specific rule, but like, for example, I'm from New South Wales and they won't say you have to keep both. Um, so it's a very good point of what you're making because I would say that in my opinion, you do have to keep both. Yeah, both. it's my strong opinion too. And, and we're, we're going to be opinionated on this podcast. I, it's, a, it's a strong thing that I try to get across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, even if like, I guess the reason why I mentioned that thing about the law is often, and it's a bit of a point of contention for me, often people will look at the law and think of the law or regulations as the prescription. Um, and, and that's not how it works. The laws and regulations are the absolute minimum requirement, you know, so, um, mm -hmm. so you don't want to go around life with the minimum requirement. You want to do what's required for you and what's going to be safe for you. So, um, so yeah, I found that that kind of like, oh, well, maybe I don't need it or do I really need it? Is it legally required? 
that may not be the best way to sort of come up with a solution, you know. Um, but yeah, you definitely need to have both pedals there from a safety point of view. Yeah, I'm not sure I would want my mechanic moving my car with a left foot accelerator without any training uh, and trying to get it up onto a hoist or, or anything else like that. I... Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a real life, real fact horror story that happened um, literally uh, a kilometer away from us at the local registry where they go and do a driving test. Um, uh, driving, uh, a driving assessor from the government accidentally um, killed somebody with a left foot accelerator because he didn't oh, really? know how to operate it. And he pushed his foot because he thought it was the brake. He pushed his foot really hard and it just went smashed into somebody behind him. Um, in, and they were basically between two cars. And it was very, very horrific um, scenario, but perfect mm. example because this guy had no idea what he was dealing with. And he thought it was just a series of events. So what happened was he saw a, a disabled people, a person with their own car struggling to move, uh, like basically needed to get the car. So he saw this person... He jumped in front and said, look, I'll move your car for you. Let me just get in. Got in. Didn't really know what he was doing. Hit the um, accelerator and bang, you know. So, um, uh, so yeah, it was just a really unlucky situation. But also the fact that that was not there and he didn't have mm. that other accelerator used, um, yeah, basically. Yeah, we a very similar story. We've had a, a lady had to drive hers over the pits um, to be inspected underneath after wheelchair conversion of her van. And she had to sit in the car the whole time because she had to drive it up and on and up uh, while they played around underneath her car because people didn't know how to actually um, move the seat in and out of the way and, and didn't want to take, take that out of her, out of her um, ability to do that. They didn't offer to move the driver's seat into the right spot for her. Uh, so she had to sit in there um, while they did all the inspections underneath the car. So... Look, it, it's, it, it is an important topic to talk about and something that really should be considered in prescriptions. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess moving on, there is also um, other types of left foot accelerators as well, which people might have seen on the market. There is ones that are probably the most common one I've seen is the um, floor mounted ones. Um, they are very simple, just a bar that goes across the existing accelerator um, with a plate that covers it and, um, and basically, yeah, just locks onto the ground either via split pins or quick release pins or just screw uh, you know wing nuts or whatever the the system is um and that's also a great system i mean we tend to i mean as a engineer i like the system because it's the least um i guess intrusive on the car's systems mm -hmm. um so when i look at things from an engineering point of view i look at okay the, the a car let's say I don't know, this car behind us is a Volkswagen. Volkswagen builds that car with robots and, um, and thousands of robots and computers and, 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 and machines that build this thing down to the micro, micro millimeter. There mm -hmm. is no way any human can re ever replicate any kind of safety that that can. So when you, we always advocate, try your best to minimally affect whatever is existing in the car, that's especially for its operation. So yeah. You can not touch the existing accelerator, then don't. Um, but if you have to, obviously we look at different versions, but if you can not, um, much better to not because who knows, you know, what kind of testing and development has gone into that, you know? So, um, yeah. so yeah, and that, that, that quick release and all the floor mount style is probably the more preferred one. Um, from a functionality point of view, and I guess from a user's point of view, I don't know if there's that much difference. I don't know from an OT point of view, what do you think about that? 
Yeah, well, good, good question. Um, it's not usually about the left foot as such, using the pedal much different. It, um, the thing about the left foot accelerator that's floor mounted is that there's quite often adjustments in there that can be made. So if you don't like the position of it, then we can adjust it slightly and make it a little bit deeper or a little bit higher um, depending on, on the needs. But most, um, most installers would hopefully try to install it at the same level of the existing um, accelerator on the right hand side. Um, but then there are slight adjustments in it. It can go slightly further to the left or further to the right or slightly deeper or, or slightly higher. So there is the adjustments in it. So if you are, if there is a slight issue with the left leg, then things can come into play with the floor mounted left foot accelerator. But there is, from my point of view, some, some real key elements that need to be thought about when we're thinking about the left foot accelerator is that, um, the the floor mounting aspect with you were mentioning about pins or screws or or so forth the person with the disability is should be the person that's assessed of whether they can take it in or out because if they're stranded uh, and they don't have their carer available on that day whether it's a family member or a husband or a wife then they can't use the car if it's been left out the left foot accelerator because it actually literally comes out of the car and it needs to be put back into the car, uh, into the driving position. So the person needs to be able to get down to floor level and install the floor mounted left foot accelerator. So that's a big part of the assessment process. Well, it should be a big part of the assessment process and a lot of um, priority should be put into that area. Screwing yeah. it in. Screwing it in, oops, screwing it in takes longer and you need to be down there for a longer period of time screwing it in, depending on the length of the screw. Uh, um, a click into place is going to be shorter, but sometimes it may need some, you know, wedging into place and, and getting that into place can, can be a little bit more tricky. So it takes an assessment. And if you've got a variety available then um, to try out, then then like we advocate in every single uh, podcast, try these things, yeah. get out there and try it. Yeah. yeah. One point I would actually make about the adjustments also, this is something which commonly comes up is um, almost everything in this sort of modification world is, a, is, is adjustable to some extent. So mm. often what we find, like what I'll find is people, they'll just try and make do with the situation. The position might not be right. And, um, and I guess the point I'm trying to make is if the position is not right, come back to your modifier and ask for adjustment. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's no complaints around that. You know, we get, we get people um, that come back to us 10, 15 times sometimes. And we say, look, you need to keep coming back until it feels right, until it's adjusted right. It might only be a millimeter here or there, um, but you do need to understand that just because it's installed once, that's not the be all and end all. Um, and, and if it's not feeling right, go back to the modifier, go back um, and say, hey, look, this wasn't, you know, it needs a bit more adjustment here or there or whatever. And as you said, you can adjust the pedal up and down, backwards and forwards. So many of these things have, have bits of adjustment in it. Even the flip up ones have adjustments on how, how much you can, uh, how hard it is to flip it up and down and where you need to position it. Um, cables move. There's so much stuff you can muck around with. So, um, so yeah, it's a very good point on that.
Yeah. And the other thing that people might not know about is that there's electronic versions out there as well. And I think we need to discuss those as well. So the electronic version is basically it stays in place most often. It stays where the clutch would be. So that it would be a, a non-functioning clutch for somebody using their right foot. It just sits there looking like a clutch. But then with a press of a button, then, the, then it becomes activated, the left-hand side one. And the right one becomes deactivated. And um, so it's if you're struggling with function to get down to floor level to either flip up, the, flip up and flip down the left foot accelerator, or you can't get down to floor level to quickly attach a left foot floor mounted uh, left foot accelerator, then the push button might be the one that you need. The, the electronic version might be the one that you need. If you own a Ferrari or a Porsche or something, it might be the one that you need from an aesthetics point of view as well. But um, when we're considering NDIS, aesthetics aren't always uh, the thing that are, uh, are funded yeah but the, with also there is actually a lot of cars on the market and more and more um that um so the electronic age i guess is really among us within within vehicles um so there's a lot of cars where they have floor mounted um accelerator pedals that are fully electronic and you basically mm. have no other option other than using another left foot accelerator that's electronic it's just the way that the car's system works um, you don't have the ability to mount anything or, or clamp onto anything. Um, and so that way, effectively, the electronic one is, is the last option. And in addition to that, I was actually um, in Germany, well, actually now just before COVID, so over a year ago, um, talking to some guys that make um, hand controls and, you know, these kind of products. And what's happening now um, is the new generation of cars, you won't even be able to without a lot of mucking around, you won't be able to do much even to the pedals because the pedal itself has got a sensor built into the whole pedal um, because what it's doing is it's sensing the pressure that you're putting. Um, that Basically, it's about driver safety. So it's looking at you and it's going, hey, this person is looking tired um, and they're lifting their foot off the accelerator and it gives you a warning to say, hey, are you tired or not? Um, and so if you connect a left foot accelerator flip up to that, uh, you, you've ruined your whole car. You can't even, the car won't turn on because you've cut all the electronics to the accelerator. So, so these are things which will come out and then make it so you may not be able to have um, certain products and you can only have an electronic one as well. So those are things that from a technical point of view of the vehicle, um, we might need to compromise on as well. Yeah, and it's certainly getting harder, isn't it? With the more electronics in the car, the more it is harder for the install um, and there's, there's room for, for technical issues to come in. Yeah. Uh, so it, definitely the case um, room for technical issues, but I will challenge the harder thing. It's only harder if you're working in the old school equipment, that's the thing uh -huh. and, and, and the old school way of thinking. So, mm -hmm. so if you've been, and this is one of the issues that we've got, I mean, even with a lot of people in the industry is, um, you know, you've, you've always seen push-pull hand controls your whole life. So you'll see some new electronic whiz-bang thing and you go, oh, what is this crap? I've never seen any of this stuff. Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you're just closed-minded. And that's a very typical issue that we have in this industry as well. Uh, and it's kind of like human nature as well. But, but like there is, and, and because of sometimes there's competition, you'll find the company that is not investing in the electronics 
um, will be bagging electronics and saying, oh, these things are too hard and they're not all that good and blah, blah, blah. But it's just the amount of money and investment and, and effort they're putting into it. So um, at the end of the day, it's just a software um, and it just needs another software to talk to it. So one of the, comp like that company we were talking about in Germany, um, they, they've understood that and they've got a whole department that is dedicated to the software engineering. And so all of their products come with software that talks to the vehicles. It's not mm. that hard. It's just, just making a different products. mindset. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and that's really what it is. And it's, it's literally, once you start getting into that space, it's sold, it's sold to the public as very complicated, very difficult, but it's actually not. It's just a bunch of kids doing some code. Um, you know, probably my, my, my daughter could do it in year six, you know, uh, much more than I could anyway. Um, but that seems to be what it is, you know? Yeah, no, I'm still in the era of uh, trying to make the VCR work. So yeah, yeah I'm, exactly. I'm not the right person to talk to. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so another little consideration in regards to uh, prescribing left foot accelerators is the impact that it has on the car for resale. And I think this is overlooked way too much. And I think that we should really touch on this, uh, Ali, in regards to what needs to happen to take to sell the car in regards to moving the car on and, and these modifications? Yeah, so typically, again, depends on the state, but generally speaking, I found this philosophy to be nationwide is um, once you're finished with that modification, you've got to switch it back to standard. Um, yeah. and, and unless you're selling it to someone else who's been through an assessment and got the same thing by some you know, divine intervention, mm -hmm. um, it's pretty unlikely and most of the time you're going to sell it. Now, one thing I would, you're going to reverse it before you sell it. Now, one thing I will say, I guess, from being in the automotive industry myself um, and in all parts of the industry, particularly, I spent a fair bit of time um, with people that were selling cars. Um, and what I can tell you is, aside from what people think, cars that have disability products are less in value than cars that don't have disability products in them. So because a car that has no disability products in it has got millions of people that can buy it, mm -hmm. but a car that has a disability product in it has got much less people that can buy it. So it's a supply and demand thing, you know, and so you're not going to have that many people interested in your car. So you're not going to get as much money for it. So again, we always advise and we try and help our customers to say, Hey, let's get it back to standard because you'll get much more money for it. You'll sell it easier. You'll sell it quicker. You'll have less legal implications mm -hmm. and it'll be gone. You don't have to worry about it and um you know and 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 also to be honest again a little bit of like a, a rant thing um or opinion if you'd like every vehicle and modification is assessed for that person so moving it on to someone else is not necessarily doing the the other person justice as well you know like they really yeah. should get a modification specifically for them um for their car for their needs um and that's the whole spirit of the ndis as well particularly rather than going, oh, well, this is a cheap car I can get and cheap solution and it's got a hand control and it'll work. Um, it's, yeah, that's not the best. Yeah. No, so uh, all things need to be going back. So for the flip up, flip down, the original um, accelerator needs to be replaced with maybe one from the wreckers or something like that. Um, and all plugs need to be uh, filled in. So any holes through the, for the, through the firewall uh, need to be filled in so there's no air noise coming in or pollutions coming in as well. So uh, really important to consider that floor mounted one 
really all that needs to happen is is if it's drilled through the firewall, then um, there needs to be those holes need to be plugged um, and potentially recarpeted, but not not necessary. Um, and the electronic one, well, that one doesn't leave as much of a of an imprint uh, on the car. So, yeah, but consider um, the cost. To consider the cost of reversing. This mm -hmm. is a bit of a trap because often I don't think NDIS will pay for the reversal, um, particularly if you're funded or some funding bodies will or will not. Um, so it's it's harder to get, I guess, funding for the removal. Now, um, one common misconception people have is or understanding is um, Australia is very expensive when it comes to labour. Um, and when you are buying a disability product and let's say it costs 10 grand, Mm -hmm. Don't be surprised that five or six grand of it is going to the labor. So mm -hmm. when you take it out, um, someone's got to kind of do that same kind of effort to take it out. You know, so so you could be paying up to 12, 13, 1500 bucks to take something out, you know, because I mean, it could be a half a day or a day of someone's time. So so you need to understand that there is those costs and um, and just factor them in. Whatever it is, maybe you want to do a bit of research around what that is for your car. Um, but yeah, that's, a, that's something that causes people surprise. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Look, we've, um, we've got to move on to the next product that he um, had on his car. And we talked about this in the podcast is, uh, and if you're tuning into this on YouTube, um, then in Ali's background here is, is what's called the Bruno Chariot. Um, and we, we should really unpack that product in more detail. We touched on it briefly. We, we tried to give a little bit of an explanation to it. People may want to know a lot more about that product. So what is it, Ali? All right. So um, I, I will disclose that I, I do love this product. I think it's a really cool product. Um, I've used it a fair bit myself. So I am a bit biased in that sense. Um, but in saying that, I'll, I'll explain why. So effectively, you can see behind me, it's um, a platform that is the most common thing, I, the way I explain it is a lot of people have seen or, or have been familiar with these platforms that hang off the back of a vehicle like a tow bar off the back of the tow bar that you can put your scooters on or your wheelchairs on and they sort of hang in the air like that, right? Yeah, this so is it's, a, it's a bit like a bike rack. So there's a lot of bike racks that are out there where you put your bikes up and it attaches to your like um, tow bar. Tow bar and then it's got a platform the bike sits on. Yeah, almost exactly yeah. the same as that. This is basically an extension on that theory. Um, it's got, as you can see there, those little wheels. So it's got two caster wheels under it. But when we say caster wheels, they're probably the biggest caster wheels I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah. But basically two wheels under it to give it weight support and also just make it um, a lot easier to drive and a lot less pressure on your vehicle. Um, and then so what happens is this platform sort of drops down to floor level uh, all by electronic means. Um, you literally just drive your scooter or wheelchair onto this platform and then you just get off and you come and you push the button and it raises it up again and then it turns it into a trailer um, and you just strap your, your, um, your wheelchair or scooter down and you get going. The thing I like about this product in particular the most is its ability to drive. Um, so those, it doesn't articulate at the point of the car, which is like on the tow ball, which is most car uh, trailers. This articulates at the wheels. So when you're driving, you don't even remember it's there. Like you can literally reverse, like I, I've reversed parked into, um, you know, a Macca's car park, I remember once on a, tr a trial and um, you can, you know, reverse park into anything and it just, the, the, wheel, the wheels spin 
and this thing just tracks behind you. So it's it like, basically extends your car. That's what people need to know. It's not. It's sold as a trailer because it's an. It comes out of your um, ball joint tow bar area, uh, and it is additional wheels to your car. But it basically extends your car. It follows your car wherever you go. So you just drive your car as per normal and consider the extra length when you are reversing and so forth as well. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, and, and in terms of length, it probably adds, depending on the car and the length of the tow bar, uh, probably about max one and a half meters, more like 1.2 meters to the back of the car. Max. Yep. So it does, it does extend you out of the car park a little bit. So if you're nosed into a car park, then this could be hanging out of a car park slightly. Um, most car parks will be long enough to um, house this in there as well. But you do maybe need to check that if you're in a really small, tight car park. So the, the main, I guess, um, design philosophy behind the product um, from what I understand uh, when I've communicated with the, the manufacturers of it is that it's actually designed for, so, so it can be used as an alternate to like a van or a wheelchair accessible vehicle, right? If you can get into, particularly if you have the ability to get into your vehicle uh, independently. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea behind this design was, hey, I can keep my little Kia Cerato hatch or I can keep my little hatchback car or my mm -hmm. little car um, and still um, have like a wheelchair access or ability to carry a wheelchair around. So it's, its intention is more for little cars. And when you, when, when you look at it from that point of view and you actually put it onto a small car, it fits perfectly in every garage, it fits perfectly in every um, car spot. It, it just, when you put that on the back of a small car, it turns it into like a large car, right? Um, and so, but it still works on larger cars. Like I've used it in this huge, massive, long wheelbase caddy a fair bit, and it has fit in car parks. It it, it does stick out a little bit, um, but you know it's not that bad. There's, it's just like being a really bad parker that just annoys people at a car park, you know, by having the the, the nose out. Um, They're all there. They're all out there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and and I guess to build on that, um, one of the points which has come up a little bit is. Um, that when you understand that that's the philosophy behind it, it's kind of not really designed to be taken off your car. It is more of a designed as a, and as an extension. Yes, it can come off your car and, it, and it's no problem. It like, it's just like any trailer, it just slides in. Um, but getting it in and, not, in and out, just like any trailer, it's, it's not that easy. Like if you want to, like if, if I, we used to have a boat, um, and if I wanted to take the boat off the car, man, it wasn't easy. You know, and if I didn't have the right angles or the right spot, there would be two and a half thousand kilos of boat fl flying down the road, right? So, so like using any attachment to your vehicle, you do need to have the ability to move it in and around about, um, you know, like any trailer. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be um, awkward. Mm. Um, so, look, the people in this industry, they're like they're the users, um, unless they've got a big, strong family around them, they're not going to really be able to take it in and out that often, you know? Um, yeah. But that needs to be considered. And that's some feedback that we've had from people that have either been sold it incorrectly or mis misled because um, they've gone to take it off and on their car and they're like, it's not that easy. And then they've, they've sort of inquired about it and the feedback they've been given is, yeah, of course it's not that easy. That's not really what it's designed to do. Yeah, it's really sh it because it's shorter in length than a traditional trailer. You can't really put a jockey wheel on it very easily. 
uh, and that makes it much harder to, to get in and out as well. Uh, so people thinking about this, you need to be able to support a lot of weight without a jockey wheel and to line it up uh, and get it in uh, and onto the car. It, that, that is quite tricky. And I, I've been there. I've tried to do it as well. Uh, and it, it, it's a tricky scenario. So it just, is, just so you know, there is actually a jockey wheel attachment coming out. Oh, coming out. And the, oh, that'll be fantastic for the people that do maybe have one of these um, or are considering it for the future. A jockey wheel would make a massive difference to this product. And then maybe it can come in and out a little bit easier, um, a bit like the bike racks. Um, yeah, it's it's one of these things that it's it's easier to keep it on your car. So a jockey wheel might make a massive difference. That's great. It's also got a few tricks to unloading and loading, which I think I've got uh, maybe a couple of videos on somewhere. But, um, but if you actually drop the platform onto the ground and you remove the pin, you just drive mm -hmm. it. You just drive and it just comes out and it just mm -hmm. stays there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a few tricks to putting them on and on as well but at, but at, but the thing is is just like i said even like even that um boat trailer i had with a jockey wheel it, it was awkward you know what yeah, I mean? it, it was a big yeah. bloody awkward thing so um so you still just like what you were saying with that left foot accelerator um with a left foot accelerator you need to be able to get yourself into this awkward angle into an awkward position which even for you know fit able-bodied people can be quite challenging. So, so these are the little kind of, the, the, the kind of little parts that people don't see, you know, and, and can easily miss. And it's the same thing. Like the reality is, is that this is awkward and a lot of the users are going to need some assistance. Um, if they understand that, uh, then, and they, they put things in place, like such as, you know, um, as we said, searching for a jockey wheel solution or even, have, making sure that it's something that doesn't uh, come on and off the car that often. And if it does, it's not by you or whatever it is. Um, as mm -hmm. long as you've considered those things, that's fine, but you've really got to understand that that's what it's required. So just from an OT point of view, I just want to talk about a couple of things about prescribing this um, piece of equipment. It's more designed for a carer to load a wheelchair for a person if they're using a wheelchair or the person actually has to have sound mobility to be able to walk short distances around the back of the car and stand for a length of time to be able to operate the machine. So there's a, a push button and the, the raising and lowering, although it's not too slow, it does take time to do that. And then the person needs to be able to tie down their wheelchair. So they need to be able to put straps across their wheelchair um, or their scooter and, and tie it down and do the ratchets up. So the person needs to have some element of function or the carer needs to be able to do that. So there needs to be an element of, of function available if you're prescribing this for a person who is actually using the wheelchair and then they're going to be the driver they need to be able to do that. So that's what Eli is able to do. He's able to walk short distances and be able to keep his balance and at home. He doesn't use a wheelchair. Um, he's, he gets himself around, doesn't really use a stick, but he can't really walk for much more than 50 meters, something like that, because it's too fatiguing. So that's why he takes his power wheelchair with him when he goes out and about so he can enjoy the community and go long distances in the community. So um, for Eli, he's able to do this independently. 
he's able to stand at the back of the um, chariot there and press the button and make the wheelchair go up and down. When it's up, he uses the, uh, puts all the lockdowns on while it's up in the air and ties it down when it's up at his, up at his chest height. So um, it can be for somebody who is semi-independent um, in regards to their walking, but it wouldn't be somebody, it's not really designed for somebody who needs their wheelchair for, you know, if they're struggling to get to the back of the car, the yeah. person needs to be yeah, able some... to really get to the back of the car. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's a, look, the thing is, is that also, um, I guess it's, it's, it's more of an active person's product anyway, in general, the person that would want a product like this is someone who's going to be traveling around a fair bit. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you're going to have to be a relatively active person um, and have those abilities of, um, of, you know, those mobility abilities. And, and yeah, even if you're in a wheelchair um, or even, even like even amputees um, could, could, uh, could potentially use this product. Yeah. Well yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's multiple takes up to 160 kilos as well. So that's uh, something else that needs to be considered. I believe that you're doing some research and development, uh, Ali, in regards to can it take more weight? There's a basically jockey wheel and 200 kilo, I guess, upgrades are coming um, this year at mm -hmm. some point once they finish all the development. But, um, but yeah, that's basically what's happening. 160 kilos would take into a consideration most power wheelchairs, um, but that needs to be considered when prescribing this. Yeah. And, and on that note, um, I guess because I've seen it time and time again, um, do not get your weight from the brochure of the wheelchair. That is guaranteed to be the incorrect weight. What would you, what's your tip then, Ali? Uh, get it weighed um, in the final setup because um, like we, we had a, um, uh, there was one particular situation where there was a story where the guy um, did everything and this is actually interesting from a responsibility chain point of view as well. He did everything correctly um, and they came and did a trial of this chariot and um, it, from a functionality point of view, but they didn't use his wheelchair, right? They used everything else. They did everything else, but his wheelchair wasn't there because the wheelchair was on order, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what they did Common was... Common story with NDIS. You're waiting yeah. for things to be prescribed, being able to be um, ordered in. Um, yeah. So yeah. And, and a common story with NDIS is because you've been waiting for so long, you get very edgy and impatient and you can often make the, not the best decisions for yourself in that light. And so in this particular case, they didn't want to wait till the wheelchair came. They said, no, we've got the specs. Here's, here's the specs of the wheelchair. We've given it to you. Um, Mr. Modifier, it's now your responsibility to make sure that this, um, you know, meets the specs. So in the specs, the product was like 140 kilos or 150 kilos. Um, no problems. Yep. Authorize it. No worries. Then when the, um, they come to, and, and this, they get all the funding, everything gets through waiting six months, car comes in, gets it fitted. Then the wheelchair gets put onto the car, the car at the time when the customer is there to pick up the car. Um, and the chariot is not lifting it and it's just going, <laughs> it's not moving, you know? And then there's an issue kind of thought about, okay, maybe it's the product. We've tested mm -hmm. it, but let's double check it. No, that's not the product. And then someone thought, hey, how about we go weigh this thing? We've got some scales on the side um, because they kept um, debating that, no, it's not too heavy. No, you, we've given you the specs. These are, this is a 150 kilo wheelchair. And we weighed it and it was 220 kilos. 
Um, and then the OT said, oh, wait a minute, I didn't think about this addition and that backrest and this thing and that thing and that thing. Oh yeah, whoops, sorry. Um, and then basically, yeah, um, that product could not be used. Like they, they had to basically go and get a different, it was, it was a nightmare. Um, um, and unfortunately, I think the OT was wearing it a little bit at that time. Um, and yeah, it's just, it is what it is. So it's very important to, to make sure you've got the weights um, and weigh the wheelchair. And if you don't have the ability to weigh it, most of the scooters, like, like the wheelchair um, shops, have scales that weigh um, wheelchairs. So yeah, like you can go and get them done there. Okay. Um, just talking about NDIS prescription and so forth, this, this is a good product for the NDIS because it doesn't actually take into consideration the age of the vehicle. So this is separate to the age of the vehicle. So the car doesn't need to be less than five years of age and doesn't need to have less than 80,000 kilometers on the car to be considered. So another really strong factor for this product is that it can go onto any car because it can be transferred from car to car to car um, if you upgrade your car. And that's that is something that should be considered. Now, when we say transferred from car to car to car, I don't want to, uh, people to mis misunderstand this. It needs, an especial, it needs a special power adapter on your car. Okay, so you can't put it on my car today and then on Ali's car tomorrow unless you've got that power adapter as well. So it's not something that can be shared between multiple cars unless you put the power adapter on multiple cars. So um, something else to consider there. But in regards to the age of the vehicle, if um, upgrading your car is out of your budget, then this product for wheelchair mobility might also help fit into that area. Yeah, yeah, it's um, very popular in that, in that area. Yeah. All right, should we wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. All right, that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for joining us and listening in. As we say in every episode, if you have any questions about what you can do or what will work for you, get in contact with your local OT or mobility dealer and set yourself up with a trial. Trials really do put you in the driver's seat. That's right, Brad. Get yourself out there and get trialing. The more and more products you try, the better, better your journey will be. All right. Thanks very much, Ali. See you in the next episode. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Drivable Podcast with Brad Williams and Ali Akbarian. Make sure you check out the Facebook page and socials. If you like what you have heard, make sure you like, rate and subscribe. It makes a massive difference. If you or anyone you know would like to share your story about driving with a disability, make sure you reach out to us through the socials. Just search for us. For more information and the resources mentioned in this episode, then go to the Drivable Podcast on Facebook and tune into the next episode. See you next time.